This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we support design engineers and make lightning protection easy. You're listening to the Struck Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Alan Hall. And here on Struck, we talk about everything aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. All right, welcome back to the Struck Aerospace Engineering Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. On today's episode, we'll talk about the A380s returning to service. We'll talk about Airbus versus Boeing deliveries, and Airbus uh, was number one in 2021. We'll see if that will continue. We'll talk about China accelerating their C919 program, trying to certify that in 2022. Uh, United has cut flights after thousands of employees out with COVID. We'll talk a little bit more about the the traffic uh, issues here in the U.S., a crazy pilot crash that was on railroad tracks. Police pulled the man off just in time. We'll talk about that a little bit. Global lightning activity fell 8% during COVID-19. Our lightning expert, Alan Hall, here will talk us through why that might be and some of the implications. And lastly, in our EVTOL segment, we'll talk about eHang. They've got a new uh, intelligent EVTOL center, and they continue to motor right along through all the naysayers. And lastly, we'll talk about some commentary from a helicopter CEO who talked about EVTOL as posing no threat, and whether this not, and whether or not this might be another example of the sort of innovators' dilemma regarding disruptive technology, and if those words might be, you know, eaten later on. So, Alan, let's start with the A three eighty. Obviously, this gigantic plane has sort of fallen out of favor, but it looks like it's returning. Why? Why is Qantas bringing this back now? Well, I think they have a huge demand to to get off the out of country <laughs> and uh, L.A. to Sydney are probably one of the bigger routes. And, and people are trying to get back into some sort of normalcy. And A380 was really invented for that. Uh, I think Qantas has about a dozen of the aircraft, most of them parked away in the desert and mothballed or pickled <laughs> in some form. So they're, they're starting to bring it back. And it's not just like you... Uh, put some fuel in the tanks and kick the tires and away you go. You, you really need to flush out systems and get everything up and running. There's a lot, it's a lot involved to get an airplane back into service and, and get the, the, get the crew, right? Cause uh, the crew will, the flight crew will have to be in the simulator and uh, all the staff will have to kind of work through some of the kinks to get back and run it again. So it's, it's, it's a big ordeal. And uh, we're just talking about cutter doing the same thing for the world cup, uh, that they're going to bring back some of their Mopal A380s. So, as weirdly enough, we, when we thought the A380 was long gone and Airbus has shut down the production line, <laughs> now there seems to be a some sort of uh, pandemic end resurgent of the A380, which is great because <laughs> it's a really cool airplane. It's just so odd to see it coming back now. Yeah, is is this the only one with two rows? Or well, I guess three rows of seating, but two two aisles. This has two decks too. Two decks, right? I flew from what New York to Turkey three years ago now, and that was the most stable flight. It had the three rows of seating, so like what five in the center, then three or four seats on the left, three or four seats on the right. I can't remember if it was two decker or not. I I don't know. But are there any other? Is this the only jet that has that many, even just in one row of seating? You no, know, the seven forty seven has that upper deck, right? Seven forty seven. Has the upper deck, and the upper deck got longer over time. Uh, but in terms of like two separate decks, the A380 has been it so far, commercially. 
And it, I mean, because I think you're, I think you're mentioning something that's really interesting about airplanes is the bigger you go, the smoother they tend to get because the the mass is so high that turbulence doesn't seem to affect them nearly as much, and it does make for a really incredibly smooth flying airplane. Yeah, and that was my point. It was like you. It was like you were in the air. Like nothing. The the, the plane was so still and so stable. It was really impressive. It was a unlike any other flight I'd taken. We were like, I could just run sprints and these, you know, I could do anything I want. And like this plane, just flat as a board, just stable through the air. Yeah, it's a cool airplane. I always find when I fly the, in the 777, which I haven't done in a while, uh, that you, you get this really eerie feeling. Like it, it is just like a separate planet. It's so big. And when you hit, when you, when you touch down, it's like, oh yeah, that's, we're in an airplane again. <laughs> but it's just so massive to fly in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope they stay in service so I can fly in one again because I enjoyed it. Um, speaking of which, uh, Boeing lost their lead in airplane deliveries. Uh, last year, Air- Airbus was the number one uh, jet maker. Alan, do you see that continuing? Obviously, Boeing has been more than a little embattled. Uh, of course, Airbus now has their lawsuit pending with uh, Qatar Airways and maybe more if that if that does not go well for uh, for Airbus. But I mean, do you see these two continuing just to jockey back and forth in perpetuity, or is Airbus going to kind of keep this lead, maybe get some distance? Well, I think weirdly they need one another in a sense. I think we all need both of them or more of them uh, to make sure that the airplanes evolve over time, right? Uh, if we have one airplane company, that's not good for anybody commercially. The airlines will really hate that. <laughs> that you know, can't bargain for pricing. Uh, and Airbus has done really well the last couple of years. Uh, as soon as the 737 accident happened, that really hurt. And, and the 787 issues on the manufacturing side have happened. Uh, Air, Airbus has just walked right into a really sweet situation for them and, and good, right? I mean, that's that's the way the marketplace plays out. Um, Airbus is willing to, f- to fill the void that Boeing uh, has created kind of for itself. And, uh, but I don't expect it to be this imbalance very long. Uh, Boeing has sold a lot of freighter aircraft, some of the larger aircraft that would be passenger planes. They have freighter versions of them. And the freight market is still very strong. And Airbus doesn't really compete in that marketplace, weirdly enough. Uh, so, you know, it, what Boeing loses in passenger airplanes, they sort of tend to pick up in larger, more expensive cargo airplanes. So it, the balance of power here is going to move between Europe and the United States and has historically. I, I continue to see that. Uh, you, you know, you, what in your ideal situation, you want a healthy Airbus, which I think we have, and we want a healthy Boeing, which it, it appears to be sort of limping back into health, but it's moving towards health. And, and that's the marketplace everybody needs uh, for cheap airline tickets and more competitive pricing and, and better airplane technology. You need them both. Yeah, and of course, they're pretty close. I mean, with deliveries... Airbus was way ahead in 2021, but in like jet orders, if you count planes that were removed from a backlog, then Boeing was ahead. But as far as actual delivered planes, uh, Airbus was was pretty far out there. Um, yeah, that makes sense about the technology of them going back and forth with each other. I mean, is a player like Embraer or anyone smaller ever going to move into this bigger market for these biggest, you know, the biggest commercial airliners, or is it always going to be these two players? Well, the big two can can keep the other ones out, right? And, and Embraer was looking to be acquired by Boeing, sort of pre-pandemic, and the it fell through for a variety of reasons. Uh, 
you know, the Chinese are trying to push into that marketplace. It'll be several years before they compete at the level of Airbus or Boeing. Uh, and there really hasn't been a serious competitor to it. Obviously, uh, you know, the most recent ones was uh, Bombardier with uh, now Airbus A220 or C-Series. Uh, that was going to be an, an airliner type airplane and try to pr progress Bombardier up the air airplane chain. And Boeing and Airbus really crushed Bombardier uh, because they could. They have so much ability to drop, you know, to sort of drop prices and uh, make it very painful for Bombardier to even continue with the program, which they, they couldn't. They basically gave half of it to Airbus. Uh, so that's a really good question. Uh, unless a country steps in like China or in theory, Russia or Japan, even with the Mitsubishi airplanes, uh, boy, it may be a while before we see a really serious contender to Airbus and Boeing. Maybe not even in my lifetime. I plan to live a long, long lifetime. So, you know, it's, you're talking probably 30 years or more. Easy. Speaking of which, China has their C919, which is their potentially first homegrown jetliner. They've completed now, it looks like 34 certification tests out of their 276 planned. Um, Alan, the Civil Aviation Administration of China obviously is their regulator and they're is certifying it. Um, I mean, what do you what do you see with the C919 coming? Based on previous history, which was the ARJ21, which was the sort of MD80 DC9 airplane that uh, Comac built uh, several years ago, of, of which I think there's only like 70 or 100 of those airplanes even in service today. Uh, the, the, the Chinese airplane manufacturers have had difficult time getting to certification. And so you got sort of, you got a couple of different variables here, which are hard to do. You're trying to stand up a certification authority, which doesn't have a lot of experience certifying anything because it really hasn't done it. Japan has the same issue right now. Uh, so you're trying to create this, this certification authority. And, and, and what do certification authorities do? They try to make sure everything's perfect. That's a natural response. Well, airplanes aren't perfect, right? So you, you kind of have to know what that give and take is. And it takes a while for a certification authority to sort of to develop to the point where they feel comfortable in their decisions. Uh, that's a problem because it tends to drag. In the meantime, airplane programs get drug out for a long time because no one's sure what to, to validate and what things to ask for better data on. Uh, and that's the first part. Second part, you're trying to stand up this manufacturing organization in a, in a technology that they're not very familiar with. And there are a lot of nuances in airplanes. Uh, any kind of airplane company worth its salt has been around quite a while. It takes time to develop that industry. And I'm not sure with the C919, which is basically, you know, an A320 uh, 737 looking airplane, if it's really going to get to a marketplace. Because I, I think what they, I think what everybody sees and envisions and what Boeing and Airbus envision are, you know, China's going to up, stand up its own airplane companies and, and sell them internally to fly, the, you know, the billion of people they have in the country from place to place to place. And that all makes sense. But it's not in the best interest of Boeing to have that happen. It's not in the best interest of Airbus to have that happen. So they're not, and, and all their suppliers are going to try to, kind of pull back and with all the tensions that are happening at the at the government level at the moment it's gonna be really hard i think for the 919 to really get to completion and to be into any sort of major quantity manufacturing 
and in service too. I, I it, it's a you're competing on a, in a weirdly on a national level, and there's going to be exterior outside forces that are going to try to slow you down, and, and that's what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, and they say China Eastern Airlines they've signed uh, to be their first global customer, but. Yeah, I guess that's a good question of whether they can reach out far enough. I mean, I assume, would anyone outside of China want to buy these planes? Yeah, historically, no. Uh, it doesn't tend to be that way. And there's not, there has been some small aircraft projects going on in China. Uh, it's very hard to fly privately in China for a variety of reasons. So that marketplace never really has taken off. The On the the transport category commercial service things, they're typically, you know, the Chinese government is typically buying <laughs> Airbus or Boeing airplanes. And that's the way Airbus and Boeing want it forever. And, mil- and military-wise, you know, you're not trying – anything that has to do on the civilian side, Airbus makes military aircraft. Boeing makes military aircraft. Uh, why would uh, Comac not make military airplanes? So you don't want to transfer technology to someone who is an ad- – at least at this point, is an adversary. So there, like I said, there's just a lot of combining forces here that's going to – really slow down Comac and the, and the Chinese certification authority. It's, it's, they're not going to make it easy. Well, back to domestic flights. Uh, United has cut workers, or they've cut flights after about 3,000 of their workers have tested positive for COVID. Now, they have reported that uh, there have been no deaths among those vaccinated. And, of course, most of United's force, if not all, um, have been vaccinated. So... They have a mandate, so they think that's worked, which is great. Um, are we going to see, I mean, we're going to see more of this for a little while. It seems like Omicron, at least in my opinion, the wave is going to kind of rip through everyone. And then maybe COVID's done for, I mean, forever, for a little while. We don't know, hopefully, yeah. Um, but you're definitely seeing reports like this where it's lots of cases, very few hospitalizations and deaths. And then it's just like the cold running through and i'm not saying COVID is like a cold but if it's not putting you in the hospital not killing you which is wonderful then it's going to have a lot you know lesser impact on the workforce and, and families and all that stuff i think all the airlines are going to go, have been going through this recently uh, united was one of the one of the few airlines that uh, mandated vaccinations i think delta talked about doing that and rescinded it and i think the same thing happened in the southwest and uh but it hasn't really slowed down the number of cases and, and the, I think the goal was is that one you can cut the spread of it and then that, that doesn't seem to be happening because the number of cases in, in the United States have exploded uh, way beyond anything we have seen in the past and uh, the from from a United standpoint an operation standpoint three I think they have about 70 or 80,000 employees so 3,000 employees is a handful of percentage points for them in terms of the number of employees but in the wrong places, it could be problems like mechanics, line workers, baggage handlers, um, flight attendants, pilots, right? It, to stop a flight, it only takes one key person not to make that flight and uh, to be available, and that flight doesn't go. So now, uh, so you have to balance all of that at United, and, and all the airlines are going to do the same thing, I think. And, there's, and Dan, I, I don't know if you've seen some of this, but there's been a lot of conjecture and a lot of talk about paying pilots and flight attendants and some of those really key people and getting an airplane off the ground, double, triple to, to cover. Uh, when, when they have off time, they can come, 
cover some uh, somebody else's flight, uh, and they're getting bonuses to go do that. And there's a lot of discussion about that, but I haven't seen anything. The unions and the the airlines aren't really talking about that too publicly that I've seen. There's a lot of scuttle in the sort of the pilot forums. Like, yeah, uh, we're going to get paid more. I I can take more flights and get paid more, and which is awesome. Uh, it's not going to last long. So if you can do it, do it right. It's it's a it's a question of can the airline sustain that very long? You know, you can't triple pay pilots forever. That, that that's just not going to happen. Yeah, and I heard the same thing just for some nurses that there. I think maybe traveling nurses specifically, there were some of them making more than surgeons. Oh, probably yeah, on an hourly basis, because they're just in such short supply. They're tripling their salary on top of travel nurses already get paid a lot better than um, regular nurses and and their station since they're like contract workers essentially, but. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see what will happen with employment, especially as people continue to to resign um, for a variety of factors going forward. You raise a really good point. There are still a lot of people re- quitting, uh, either from better opportunities or they don't want to be exposed to COVID. They have some sort of health condition that they don't want to be be exposed to it. And if they have cash in the bank, they can make it happen. There's been a lot of people leave industry recently. I know Boeing's talked about it a lot and the FAA's talked about it a lot on the airplane side. Uh, and that, that's going to ripple throughout the whole aviation community. Why would it stop at an airline? It's, nation, it's nationwide, worldwide. It is the, the great resignation. So speaking of other COVID-related things, Alan, lightning activity fell 8% during lockdown in 2020. So what do you attribute that to? Take us to this or through this. There's been a, a number of, of uh, re- publications uh, talking about pollutants or particles or particulates in the air and how that may uh, influence lightning strikes. And you're like, oh, okay, that, that's something interesting to think about. Uh, Visala, uh, which does a lot of lightning detection in the United States and, and the world for that matter. And there's a couple of different agencies that are actually measuring lightning strikes are detecting changes in the, in the way uh, storms are forming and the number of lightning strikes. And the correlation seems to be with essentially less human activity that we have uh, less factories running, less uh, pollutants in the air or particulates in the air. There's less lightning strikes, which you wouldn't necessarily think those two would go together I, I wouldn't but i guess it does make sense like more particles in the air means i guess maybe more raindrops more raindrops means more thunder and, and lightning uh to to the to the point of do we really understand all aspects of what's happening in the environment if, if we if we knew that here's my little filter on this if someone had said man we're covid's going to shut down the 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 united states and maybe the world for extended period of time, there will be less lightning strikes. That's somebody I think, wow, okay, checkbox. That person has their head screwed on straight because they could predict it, right? But we're in this weird mode of, well, unfortunately, we're in this weird mode of less particulates, uh, less lightning strikes, uh, climate catastrophe. <laughs> that's, that's always lumped in there somehow, which is very odd. I, I don't know how you get between those elements but i i'm watching multiple sort of webinar ish events discussing lightning lightning near the north pole and climate catastrophe uh i it's really early to do that everybody let's let's uh, slow slow your roll there but from a from a 
you know, air cleanliness. I think, Dan, don't you think that probably the air is cleaner? There has been less pollution in the air. Uh, there may be less lightning strikes. Great. Uh, that's, you know, in terms of cost to society, less lightning strikes causes less damage and less damage is good. One of the benefits of COVID, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, I know the the highway traffic has got to be a huge source of the particulate matter in the atmosphere, right? Just all the rubber from tires that we don't realize is getting worn off or braided off with every rotation, right? It's all kinds of things in the air that you don't think about, right? And I imagine that traffic is still down now since most significant amount of people are working at home versus before still. A lot more people are back on the road. You remember when, I mean, I remember I just, I just moved to D.C., when COVID started and I was like getting to know this new city that was literally a ghost town. Like I, I remember days I was the only person I could see on the national mall. I mean, the place is gigantic and you can see a, a mile in the distance, two miles in the distance, depending on where you are. I'm the only person out there. So c- start contrast now is it's pretty much back to normal. Well, not back to normal, but there's a lot of people anywhere you go. A lot of, yeah, there's people anywhere you go now, but back then, if you saw a couple of people, you're like, are you someone's like are you are you real like can i talk to you are you a real person are you you gonna kill me i was like some post post apocalyptic world you gotta go back and hide first make sure they're not armed like blade runner out there Mm -hmm. so anyway but it'll be interesting to i'm sure there'll be more reports i mean we talked about the wildlife how they were thriving when humans were all stuck inside being sad so i mean we're still stuck inside being sad but a little less so. It seems like pets can get get COVID, and it seems like they can pass it on. And I always wonder, like, well, you know, how much of this transmission is from animals? Like, zoo animals have died. I, mean, I think there was a tiger in a Philadelphia zoo that died of COVID. And Did it die of it? I know the tigers in D.C. got COVID, and the lions, too. Was it Was it D.C.? Yeah, I think I read that one of them one of them died. But isn't that amazing? Like, we just think, oh, it's just, it's just human to human. Like, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. The wildlife has it just as much as we <laughs> as we do, weirdly enough. Uh yeah, so it, 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 it's, it isn't that interesting. I always think the COVID discussion is very interesting. How the the variants happen? Like, well, the variants happen because you know the dog community or the cat community is causing variants. Like, what are we doing there? Nothing, and it has a big impact. I thought it was just random genetic mutation, just like humans develop diseases and different traits over time. It's from the random mutation every time a cell copies itself and DNA copies itself. So. That was my interpretation. I had heard some people remark that in places where there was less vaccination, that that's why we had mutations. And I know I'm pretty sure that's not true. But if you have a thing that copies itself 100 million times, it's going to miscopy itself sometimes. And sometimes they're going to pr- prove advantageous and sometimes they're not. And in the case of the variants that proved advantageous, the ones like especially that couldn't be stopped by a vaccine like Omicron, then they proliferate until they, until they can't anymore. So... Um, that was my interpretation of it. I'm not a scientist, so if that's wrong, I apologize. But uh, I thought it was just it's just random, just like any other part of uh, evolution and selection. So is it isn't it amazing that uh, how I, when we go to look back on this, and and at some point you'll have uh, business students at Harvard going through this post mortem, like how much of an effect a virus could have on the economy. And, and if you start looking at the aerospace community and the aircraft community in particular, we got hammered. The air, airplane community got hammered. Airlines got hammered. Uh, and what do you do? 
when it, when it happens again, because it's happened previously, just not to this stage. What do you do to protect yourself? Because you won't be able to buy insurance for it. Very unlikely. What do you do? And it, it really, it really leads you to think like big companies are thinking about that. I'm sure right now we're going through this now. Let's not go through it five years from now. How do we prepare against it? And I think that's hopefully one of the things the air, aircraft community is doing is preparing for the next one and making sure that they're ready and they know how to, to manage it. Last year on the news segment, uh, there's a crazy crash of a Cessna in, in L.A. The pilot crashed uh, on the railroad tracks. And there's this insane video of people pulling him off right before a train absolutely demolishes this little this little plane. Alan, have you ever seen anything like this? What a crazy thing. No, I, I've seen plane crashes, plenty of them, probably too many, actually. But <laughs> landing on an active railway... I have not seen before. Because it sounded like the aircraft took off and had some problem on takeoff and then ended up sort of on the street and stopping right right across a railroad track. Uh, and the aircraft was pretty severely damaged. It looked like one of the wings and the nose were pretty crushed, like it had run into something, a pole or something on the way down. And the pilot looked pretty beat up too. And he was okay, yeah, but just bloodied as he's getting pulled out, yeah. Because you're always concerned in those kind of incidents, you, you have some sort of spinal injury. And, and, and in an ideal situation, they they cut the airplane apart and, and lift you out on a, on, a, on a solid board, right? Just to make sure and get you in a neck brace and all the things they would do to make sure you don't have a spinal injury. But in this case, there's a train coming. Yeah, dude, we got to go. We got to go. Yeah, we got to go. And th this is going to really hurt. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to do this, but I'm ripping you out of this airplane right now. Uh, because otherwise, you're a goner. And I'm sure the pilot's like, man, what did I do today? <laughs> did I step on the wrong side of the bed or what? Holy moly. But you talk about also a lucky guy, right? Because he was in two life... Two, two things. Not one thing, two things. You know, life-threatening situations in which he survived both of them uh, and probably is going to walk away. I haven't heard much about how serious his injuries are. I think he's fine, just... Just bloodied, but other than other than that, okay. Wow, that's amazing. And the, the 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 police officers that had the sense of mind to say, okay, focus on what needs to happen here. We need to get this guy out uh, and, and stop worrying about other things that are happening on around us is really remarkable. Because one of the I don't know if you saw that other video from a sort of person on the street taking a video with a you know, a phone, obviously, uh, but you're standing on the wrong side, like as the airplane is being crushed by this train, that large sections of this airplane are flying up through the air and about to hit this, these people standing in the street. It's like, man, not only could the pilot or the police officers been killed, they could have killed a bystander quite easily with a section of airplane as fast as that train was moving. It had to be moving 50 to 60 miles an hour. It seemed like it was rolling. Very dangerous. Man. Guy's lucky to be alive for sure and a very worthwhile watch if you want to hop over it. So we'll link in the description links below. So moving on to our EVTOL segment, first let's talk about eHang. Um, they've got a whole new EVTOL center, quote unquote, um, that's intelligent with 5G. Um, Alan, eHangs continue to chug along and they're putting a lot of interesting things in the press. They obviously have multiple aircraft now um, and now they have this sort of center 
to show off their technology and looks sleek. What, what's your take here? I, I've seen a couple of 5G mentions in terms of uh, China aircraft efforts. I, I'm, I'm assuming because this is an autonomous aircraft and it's piloted from the ground or autonomously, uh, that they're relying on 5G network to to provide some sort of data for the aircraft, which is weird. Am, am I reading between the lines too far? Like, is the aircraft relying on 5G to have somebody from the ground control it? I'm not sure. I think that's great. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they're building these, I think they're building like 100, what I call heliports, uh, to, to take off and land in. The whole concept of this is just so unusual from the the safety side because at least in the United States and Europe, we really have not had any desire to make autonomous aircraft, but people in autonomous aircraft will put cargo in and small amounts of it, but we haven't gotten far enough down the road to say, I'm going to put a couple of people in this and then go fly around. So you can kind of punch in your destination into an iPad-ish sort of interface and it just takes you there. The whole the whole concept is, from a safety standpoint, it doesn't feel fleshed out. And the only way they're going to show it is, at this point, they're going to show it is to have a very successful safety record. But, you know, are you going to really going to get complete, true data out of uh, the Chinese government at the moment? Probably not. Uh, and I think that's why everybody's concerned is... Uh, is it too? Is it too fast? Is it going too too fast? Too far without a, a real look at safety? Yeah, I guess we'll see. So last year on the docket, um, there's been a quote from a, a helicopter CEO, basically just talking about how they're not going to really pose a threat to helicopters long term. Don't really threaten that industry. Um, Alan, we've talked a little bit about the book, The Innovator's Dilemma, which talks about disruptive technologies and how they come up sort of slowly and then all at once can overtake companies that are, you know, just sort of same thing. Like, ah, that little pesky fly could never do anything to hurt us. Um, what's your take here? Obviously, well, first question to you is, are, are helicopters always going to be around? I think the biggest thing is, hey, they've been reliable and they've been around, but they do crash more than aircraft do. They have less redundancy with just the one, um, you know, set of rotors. Um, what do you see for the future of helicopters? Are they going to stick around? So the discussion from... Uh, Hill Helicopters, which um, the CEO is representing, is is talking about helicopters are kind of here to stay. And in fact, this this Hill company uh, came across their website the other day. I was looking at it again today. They're making this sort of, uh, you know, it's very standard in terms of a helicopter, but some of the features it has are very advanced uh, that they got several hundred orders for it. 200, 300 orders for this for this helicopter, and they haven't really gotten to a full-scale production unit yet. They're still, I think they're building a third-scale or half-scale version of it at the moment. Uh, and so the, I think the argument, you know, if, you, if you're sitting on a pile of cash from sales, I think you can make, for a, a standard configuration helicopter, I think you have something to say about what's happening in the eVTOL market. Because... Uh, Hill is selling helicopters to buyers, owners, I'd assume, or companies that are going to operate these things, and the eVTOL companies are going to own the helicopters themselves. So in a, in a weird sense, like they don't have any, there's no there's no validation in the marketplace. The, the Joby thing makes sense because Joby's going to operate the whole system, right? 
so you, you don't have any feedback like, that most marketplaces would have or stocks would have. Like, if I sell something in the open market, if I go to my local uh, Walmart and I see a bunch of people buying iPhones, I think, oh, iPhones, people are thinking iPhones are cool. Oh, awesome. In the aircraft market, that happens by orders. In the, in the automotive market, that happens by orders. Look at Rivian. So what Hill is saying is we have a lot of orders. And if people were so enamored with eVTOLs, they wouldn't have, we wouldn't have a pile of orders. I, I think that makes sense to me. Uh, it, so I, I think that's where the risk comes on eVTOL market is, are you selling an aircraft or are you selling a lift service? I think what they're selling is a lift service with, that is done by an aircraft, especially designed aircraft. Uh, so you know, I, I think it's a very good question, Dan, you raise is, are helicopters going away anytime soon? I don't think so. Uh, based on orders, I would say not. And, and the Robinson aircraft, there are 44, which is probably one of the most popular aircraft, maybe the most popular aircraft of all time. Uh, they sell a lot of those things. And I don't think it's going to slow down all that much. So the, our eVTOL is going to have to create their own marketplace, their own niche. I, I, right now, indications are, yeah. And, and that's what they're doing. Right? I think they're, people at Joey are smart people. People at Archer are smart people, right? Um, it's not about selling aircraft. It's about providing a, 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 a service. It's not an aircraft. It's a service. Different way of looking at aviation. Yeah. And of course, this, I mean, it does sound eerily similar to, you know, like the disk drive example in that book, The Innovator's Dilemma. Like when they had mainframe computers, all these larger disk drive sizes, you know, all the manufacturers of them continue to want to make their mainframe computer users happy. So they're trying to make the next best capacity and price of the same large format drive that fit in a mainframe computer. And there was no market for small drives because there was there was no market for small computers. And so they and so they just tended to their customers. We're going to make what our customers want. Our customers are mainframe computer users. We're going to keep doing this. And sounds very similar to the helicopter market. Hey, we've got a lot of orders. We've got a lot of people that love helicopters. Well, until battery technology and the cost of these, you know, EVTOLs comes down, and then suddenly people say, "Well, I could do this." in an EVTOL, let me get a couple of them. And now it's too late. The cost has come down so much. EVTOLs are ubiquitous. They're cheap. They're effective. They have more redundancy. People view them as safer. They're also the hot new commodity. And now, can these companies pivot in time from going from a helicopter manufacturer to an EVTOL manufacturer to try to catch up? And historically, the answer has been no. So it'll be interesting. But like you said, there's a lot of different use cases. Electric might not be nearly as viable for quite a long time. You know, it's it's hard to know, but it seems eerily similar. We're interested to see how it plays out. You know, one of the things I always worry about is the health of the overall aviation community because there's been so many cool technologies that have come and gone. Very similar to computers, but you know, if a computer is here or there, it doesn't really make any difference to me. If an airplane project doesn't go, it does make a difference because there's a, just a, the transportation part of this plays into it, like. It's hard to move people from one place to another. There need to be options here. And we're losing, we're going to seem to be having fewer and fewer options as we move along. We're, we're kind of going down to, you know, Gulf Streams or Boeings or Airbus kind of, kind of technologies. Uh, and the helicopter market has been around for a while. But you're right, Dan. I mean, if you, if you just start over, what would you do? I, th I think what you're asking is, if we were to start over, what would we do? 
Uh, yeah, it, it may be an eVTOL, maybe where we would have started if we had all this technology and we're saying, when we just figured out how to fly, it, it, we may be eVTOL because of the safety aspect, just, just because of the safety aspect. That's interesting. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Struck. Be sure to subscribe wherever you watch on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or if you watch us on YouTube. Uh, leave us a review. We greatly appreciate it. Share the show with a friend, and we'll see you next week on Struck. Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardaero.com. That's weatherguardaero.com.